0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast, and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners. I had a nice surprise this week. I looked at our statistics, and we had 167 downloads from Russia, and that Well, that just blew me away. So whoever our new listeners are in Russia, we want to thank you for downloading. This series is a very powerful series. If you want to hear the past messages, all you have to do is log on to IOMAmerica.org and go to our download page, and you'll see a media library there. And you just simply type in brokenness, and you will see all the messages listed under brokenness if you want to listen to them. But we do welcome you and we welcome all of our online listeners. And we are now going to be talking about New Covenant Victory is our message for today. John 6.63, which is what we talked about, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are, are of spirit. And our life. Now, we just went through a series about turkeys and eagles. When you have a true indwelt Christian living amongst a bunch of turkeys, and one of the best illustrations I have ever heard, and that's taking a Christ centered Christian and sticking them in a liberal school. You are around liberal theology every single day of your life. And you see young people functioning from that secondary identity. And you slowly but for surely get overwhelmed by the identity of those that are around you. And pretty soon you find yourself doing and saying the exact same things as the liberal people around you. It's the old concept of boiling a frog. You don't turn it on high, you turn it on low. And you slowly cook the frog so the frog doesn't jump out of the pot. That is how liberal affects conservative all believers. It's just a little bit every single day. It is an approach the enemy uses so that you no longer can believe this. It is the Spirit who gives life. There's nothing you and I can do in and of ourselves to get excited about the Lord. Now there are some churches out there that hire bands. I had a counselee in Denver. No, it was uh, Phoenix when we were down there. He was a professional musician. He literally was one of the rock stars of old. Got saved. And now a church downtown phoenix hired him as a musician he didn't even go to that church his responsibility was to hire other musicians who didn't go to that church in fact four of the band members weren't even saved but they were some of the best musicians in the nation and when the people had praise and worship in that church they were known for their praise and worship all over the city And here their worship team, half of them, didn't even know who Jesus Christ was. They were so depraved in their thinking. Rock stars. That's where Christianity has gone today. It's a professional event. And the only way to get people clapping is by the band. Or the energy that's on stage. It's not a result of, I believe the Spirit gives life and the flesh can't. So when I see people not responding in the Spirit, that means they're not hearing the Spirit. I don't care who you are. That's the way it works. And people should never be forced to act like the Spirit is moving within them. Then you have all that fake stuff in the service. People making noises and praising God out loud. Do All this disorder stuff we see in the services today is a result of trying to prove to others you got some kind of spirituality going for yourself. It's extremely dangerous. Here's our theme for today People with pride do not respond to authority as if they are dealing with God, but rather that of mere man. Jesus said these words once, and he said them to me as I was preparing for the sermon again this week. And that is what you do unto the least of these, my brethren. Does anyone want to finish it? You do unto me. So when you stick it to your boss, you're sticking it to Christ. When you are not responding to authority, you're not responding to God see the Romans 13 passage is so insulting that I know very very few Christians in fact I believe it takes an indwelt Christian to actually behold it it takes the spirit of life to bring understanding to this passage and that's out of Romans 13 it says, all authority that is established is established by God. He who opposes such authorities opposes God. You see, you don't have to agree with the present administration of the United States. The reason why I put out that message uh, last month about respect your God given authorities and I had Obama's face on the advertisement is because. Yes, we are required as believers to respect our present administration because they have authority over us. It does not mean that I believe what they believe. But see, I can honor someone as an authority figure and not believe what they believe. We think honor means equal belief, and it does not. You can have a commanding officer who is harsh and mean and, un- and untrusting, but you can still honor and respect them. Someone please read for the body this morning. Second uh, Peter, chapter 2, verse 18, and read it, "Nice and loud." Or is it First Peter 2:18? Is it? Thank you. 2:18. Oh, uh, Ian just uh, made a point here. He said, aren't we going to stand up? <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Thank you. You all may be seated. So servants, be submissive to your masters not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. It goes on and it says this, For what good is there if you obey one who is righteous, but if you obey unreasonable authority and suffer because of it? For this finds favor in the eyes of God when a man or woman bears up when suffering unjustly. You see, favor with God is the same term in the Greek that's used for grace. You want to get God's grace? That's how it's done. But I'm going to move away from this passage because it's the most offensive passage in the entire Bible. And I don't want people to get hung up on it and not get the message of the new covenant victory. So here is what humble people do. People of humility and brokenness respond to all authority, appropriating the fact that whoever resists authority opposes the ordinances of the living God. If you listed out every single ordinance in the word, they say there's a little over 700 of them. By you resisting your boss, by you resisting governing authorities, using the accurate term, you are resisting God in every one of those 700. That's what that means. You're not breaking one law. You're breaking them all. And that's why we need the life of Christ to be able to live this. (laughs) Because you break one rule, you're breaking them all. And that's exactly what Jesus said. You break one, you break them all. So you either keep them all, or, well, I don't have the ability to keep them all. But Christ does in me. That's the difference. So how would you like to, number one, become spiritually known by devils? That sounds kind of bad. Walt and I were talking about this the other day. Remember that demon who said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? This was a guy trying to cast out a demon out of someone. And the demon responds to the person and says, well, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? I read that years ago and I said, God, I want to be known in the spiritual places of having authority that is not mine, but is Jesus Christ and function in that authority that even spiritual beings will know. It's a good goal to have, by the way. In fact, if you're not known in spiritual places you're going to get a sucker punch. And you're not going to know who hit you. That's a sucker punch. Number two, conform to the image of Christ is one that is puzzling, attracts, disrupts, entices, enrages, comforts, rebukes, and most of all, radically loves those around them. I mean, it's like you meet some people like this. Peter Lord was like that and I'm assuming he, he's still like that in his his grandpa years but he was so annoying I mean the truth that would ooze out of this man was just annoying you couldn't get anything by him I mean you could try to slip in a little clever little twisted lie so when you're around people like that it, they're kind of annoying Because your normal game is not on. It's off. Well, honestly, no one likes hanging around people like that, to be honest with you. Unless you're like that too. Then you want to hang around people who are like that. And that's why the word says, always hang around someone who's wiser than you. But they're annoying. I think Paul was annoying. He's annoying. He, He... I mean, if I was hanging out with this guy day in and day out and day in and day out, I think I would hike like a lot of them did with Paul. They left him. Paul died almost completely alone outside of Timothy and a couple others because he was annoying. But I'll tell you what, he was known in spiritual places. He was puzzling. He was kind of attractive in respects to wanting to listen to him. He was very disruptive. He was kind of enticing in a spiritual sort of way. And he enraged people. But yeah, he was comforting. He loved everyone, but he was hated by most. Number three, be obedient to the point of making God's excellence more visible. You know what a man of faith does? He takes what is invisible and he brings it into the visible. So Peter, we know about impulsive Peter, you know, there's tons of stories about him. But I admire Peter's faith like no other. There's two men in the New Testament that as I read about them, I am overwhelmed with blessings. One is Peter and the other one is the centron, the soldier who supervised men. And if you remember the story, he had, a, he had a son who was possessed by demons, thrashing around. And he saw Jesus and he looked over at Jesus and he said, Sir, Sir. Sir means owner, means Lord. When you hear the term used in England where you are knighted and you're be, you become a Lord, and they call you Sir William after that or whatever, that means you're a Lord. Lord doesn't mean God, it means owner. Okay, so this centurion is looking at Jesus going, owner of the universe, he got it figured out. He said, I'm a man of authority. He goes, I know that all you have to do is just speak it, and it will be done. See, he had a hundred soldiers under him, and when he would speak, the work would get done. And if you found one of the hundred that wouldn't do the job that the leader wanted them to do, they were removed. Probably sent to the front line. Well, he knew that, so he looked over at Jesus and says, Well, I know how that is. If you just speak it. In other words, don't, I don't want to bother you to have you go all the way to my house and lay hands on this, this son of mine so that he'll be free. Just speak it, and it'll be done. And Jesus looked at him and said, Well, you're a fool. I gotta go there myself and do this. No, that's not what he said, Pastor Walt. What did he say? He said to the Jews around him, "I've not seen such faith in Israel as I've seen in this man." That is just as powerful as a faith testimony can get. Jesus just saying, "Go. It's done. It's done. It's done." And then saying, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Who did it come out of? A commander. A man of authority. One who understands authority, understands expectation of authority. And one who understands expectation of authority, God joins them there. Jesus joined him in his little world. As the father needed to go with that little boy and sit on that front step for that miracle to happen. It's not only us joining God where God's at work, it is God joining us where we think He's at work. And oftentimes He births the true mission. Number four, be as John the Baptist. Love God and do what is right. He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Every single morsel of food and drink that you give, you're feeding the mouth of Jesus Christ. What you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you are doing unto me. Now if you give in order to get, that's exactly what you're going to get from God. You'll have that kind of Christianity. Now this is just out of the raw love like John had. That raw love. I have to feed you. I have to give you a drink. If you look at all the stories in the New Testament that include Jesus, the good portion of those stories are around food and water. The lady at the well. The stories go on and on. The the, the 5,000 fed from the fishies and the bread. A lot of these stories we like to talk about were around exactly what John the Baptist was good at even before he met Jesus because of God. New covenant living shall be displaying the light of the gospel. It demonstrates proper responses to authority. When our aim is to glorify God, true respect and submission signals to the world our confidence in one who infinitely is greater than any human authority. Now, if you could just process that one statement by me showing respect for Walt. Now, I want to show you something. We're a brand new church plant. I am in the process of very carefully screening elders and deacons right now. For obvious reasons, Walt is the only elder we have. And I am an elder. And so Walt and I are the two elders, really. We haven't sanctioned this until it's time to do it, but we're getting very, very close to do that. In fact, if you would um, pray for Walt and I, starting in about a week and a half, we are going to be getting together every week, and this is a document that uh, several of us put together on the names of God. And we are going to be praying through every single name. And we're going to pray it over this body. We're going to pray it over ourselves. And we're going to pray that the name. See, everything's done in the name. When you speak the name of God, of Jesus Christ, or adjectives describing the Holy Spirit, you are breathing power into what it is that God is asking you to do and we are gonna pray this into our little body here name by name no matter how long it takes us and then we'll go on to the next mission that the Lord gives the two of us and then uh, Walt and I will very carefully choose who the deacons are going to be may only start with one may start with two I don't know and then we're going to breathe life and truth into the deacons and how they're supposed to function as deacons. So you need to be praying, believing that God is going to establish the foundation of the authority for our tiny little body. Because all this is connected. Or you're just coming here and some fancy preaching every, every week. We need to establish order in order for there to be order in the body. That's all there is to it. I'd like to see this town function without order. You'd have something beyond chaos. Do you realize in the demonic realm there is more order than you can handle on a given day walking in Christ? They are required by Satan to obey 100 percent and we don't even require that in the body of Christ. Why was Hitler so successful? Cuz his followers obeyed 100%. Why is the antichrist going to be so successful? Because the world's going to obey him 100%. Why? Cuz of fear. Well, Christ doesn't want to lead by fear. He wants to lead by love. And then he says, I'll be 100% obedient to the Father through you. And every rule that you miss, don't worry about it. It's covered. Complete different way of responding to authority. In marriage, a husband and wife learn to glorify God and allow themselves to be spirit-dominated. They see their relationship not as a filling station for their own needs, but a way of actually reflecting the resurrection power of Jesus Christ so now we have the world watching us submit to dynamic authority or non-dynamic authority and it shows them how to submit to Christ and then in our marriages our marriages are literally a demonstration of reflecting resurrection power as Walt was saying a few minutes ago there's so many of us that in our marriages we literally go to bed with the sun going down on our wrath? So when you wake up in the morning, you can wake up kind of crabby because you went to bed by letting the sun go down on your wrath. And You do that day after day, week after week, month after month, you're going to be a crabby person by the time you're in your 60s. And there's no turning back when you get like that. That's why you get these labels about grumpy old men and old biddies is because there's no turning back once you get like that. God could do a miracle, but the odds are He won't. And that's why you don't see a lot of old biddies turned around in their older years. It can be done, but you rarely see it. Same thing with crabby old men. They're stuck in their way. It's a pattern because every single night they go to bed with the sun coming down on their wrath. And the human mind is designed by God to file that information away deeply within the recesses of your mind. That's just science, let alone the spirituality behind it. And then as children, our parental objective is that they be not merely well-adjusted, contributing members in society, but living dispensers of His Holiness, Wherever he stations them on earth and that's exactly what Jane was talking about in the commission that she was giving us parents is that we need to remember the way you raise your children in identity will stay with them the rest of their lives Proverbs says train up a child in the way that he or she should go and when they get old what's the rest of the verse? They will not part from it. Well, let's just read it the way Satan reads it. Train up a child in the way that they should not go. When they get old, he will not part from it. Satan's has a little technique. It's very easy to figure out. Stupid people are easy to figure out. Seriously. Stupid is a, a word used in the Bible. And stupid from the Hebrew means one who knows the right thing to do but does the opposite thereof. Stupid is, stupid does. Now, he's easy to figure out because he uses truth, truth, lie. He did it in the garden and he does it today. He tells the truth, they shall not part from it. But the lie part is, Train a child up in the way that they should not go. The truth part is, and they won't part from it. The verse actually saying, train up a child in the way that they should go, and they will not part from it. You have psychology 101 in one verse. Monkey see, monkey do. we try to make it a whole lot more complicated than it actually is so we need to train children up in the truth that they are nothing outside of christ they are everything in christ and the only way to find significance is in christ here's our two approaches two fundamentally ways to approach our spiritual lives number one this is the error this is not the not good part but it's most popular and that is, live for God so that we can fully exploit his blessings. This approach is about God benefiting his creatures spiritually, physically, and psychologically. What must we do to gain God's blessings? And if you just read that, take the error out, take the what we should not be doing, just erase that part of it, that sounds like a pretty good statement a goal but you see what it does is it makes the body of Christ extremely selfish what do I need to do to get my blessing so we become motivated by doing to get that's how we're raising these children if you're a good boy you get an ice cream cone if you're a good girl then I'll pay you $50 per a that you get and on and on and on so the the child becomes an adult and they're doing to get God's blessing they think God's gonna give them 50 bucks a better salary job if they obey not a good way to live the truth which is less popular Allow Christ to live through you so he can fully reveal his name. And this approach is about God glorifying his name. And what can I do to reflect God's glory? That's why we're going to do this little study about God's names. Because we want to reflect God's glory to this little body in our prayer closet. Because the elders are supposed to be responsible for the spiritual development of the body. The deacons are responsible for the bananas being served. And the tables being organized. And getting the forks on the table. And making sure that the hungry people in the body get fed. And so forth and so on. You have spiritual being met. You have physical being met. And who meets the psychological needs there is no emphasis in the word on psychological needs that is a man-made arena of life if you are fed spiritually and you are fed physically the mindset is all taken care of there's no focusing on the psychology of man but what is the number one career in america psychology and sociology what is the number one area in america of unemployed graduates psychology and sociology why don't you see counseling centers popping up on every street corner like we did in the seventies and eighties is because we've been at it long enough where we realize it doesn't work we're driving people into their own misery but we have noticed since nineteen eighty that the increase of medicines have increased Over 800%. In other words, we have figured out we can't really help them psychologically, so let's make them feel good. Let's shove seven cups of coffee into them through a little pill and give them a wellness feeling. That's the world we live in. Feed them spiritually, feed them physically, and the rest takes care of itself through those two approaches. God's glory first. What practical difference will it make if I focus on God's glory? Well, here they are. The difference will show in our humility and personal brokenness. Basically you're saying, I can't do it. He can. Truly confronting God's glory will also ignite a holy zeal within us for his name. Defending one's own reputation, putting degrees at the end of your name, even though I have a handful of them too, I am the first to say it has accomplished nothing for me. You see, we want to add on to our name for reputation's sake so we can be paid better. That's usually the end result. Christ is saying, reduce your name. So that my name can reflect its proper glory. And then being absorbed with God's glory will also result in the purifying of our lives. So that we will be transformed, just like Paul said, from glory to glory. Jesus said, for I do nothing on my own initiative. He says, for what you hear me speak, you hear my Father speak. See, he was representing the name of God, his Father. Jesus became the Greek names of the Hebrew names of God. The Holy Spirit takes those names and breathes them into your life. Nothing so invigorates our soul, so ravishes our hearts, so diminishes our anxieties, and so ennobles our existence as being supremely preoccupied with God's greatness and his presence. How would you like it to be able to walk into a room and immediately sense the presence of the living God? I've been there, done that many times. I think most people here have been there, done that. You know that you know if the presence of God is present. The Holy Spirit not only indwells us as believers, it surrounds us as believers. And when we walk into rooms, other people are going to sense the power of the Holy Spirit is present. If you hang out with that person long enough, you're going to think you're saved. you understand what I'm saying? If you hang out with an indwelt believer and you're dead as a doornail, but you're a pew setter, you're going to think you're saved because you're sensing the power of the Holy Spirit around someone you're hanging around. It's called second-hand Christianity. Happens all the time. Many will go to hell because of that one principle. Remember that verse where Jesus says, some of you will come before me and say that you've preached in my name, casted out demons in your name, performed miracles in my name, but be gone from me, you evil and wicked generation, for I know you not. Well, those are second-hand Christians. They think they have it because they've been pew-setting so long and hanging around indwelt believers that actually exude the Holy Spirit. The reason why the whole world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, listen to me, every nation that's listening right now, every person that's listening right now, know this. The reason why the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket in seven years, it's all it's going to take, seven years, the whole world's going to go into chaos, is because of the rapture. Because God is going to take the Christians who possess the Holy Spirit and he's going to remove them from the earth. There will be no more walking into rooms sensing the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? No more secondhand Christianity. And evil is going to run wild because the order of the Holy Spirit is gone. What brings order to this room what brings order to your family, what brings order to this community is the presence of God. God is a God of order. That's why things go to hell in a handbasket in seven years. Satan gets seven years of glory with a small g. And that's when the final action of glory to glory, that transformation takes place. Yes, there will be a handful that survive that seven years and receive the big glory. But there won't be any second-hand Christianity, folks. Zero. And there's some of you here today or some listeners out there that are probably in the category of second-hand Christianity. And if you are wondering if you're one of them, you need to get with an elder somewhere, some place. You need to get with an elder to have them test your salvation. And that is a biblical term. God tests whom he loves. Paul says test the spirits to know whether you are of the faith. Because Paul understood there's a lying, deceptive world out there of spirits breathing these lies. You're okay, you're okay, you're a pew setter. Your daddy's a Christian, your daddy's a preacher. You're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And the truth being said, you're going to hell without the power of the living God, the presence of God being in you to live through you so that doesn't happen to you. Takes an elder. Why do we need authority and leadership? Guys, I think this is called a duh. You think your best friend can discern this out in your life? No, they can't. Birds of the same feather can't discern this out. You think you can do it in your private prayer closet? Then throw every God given pastor out of the church because they're not needed anymore. Yes, we are needed. The elders are needed. The fathers are needed. The patriarchs are needed. Why? To test. To discern out whether you're truly of the faith. I'm so sick of secondhand Christianity I get sick to my stomach some days. I hear so much religious stuff coming out of Christian mouths and so many cute little things that I go, you have no clue what the exchange life is. You have no clue what Christ in you, breathing through you, to bring the presence into a conversation so that people are falling to their knees because they're in the presence of God. It's not the leader that's God. It's the presence of God that humbles people and breaks them down. It used to be that a leader could walk into an evil situation Think of Charles Spurgeon. That boy would start preaching. People would hang on to the pews because they thought the floor was going to come up from underneath them. Long gone are those days, folks. The wooden floors are holding you up just fine. You see, we've lost our respect for the power of authority in the church, which is the authority of God. Yes, there are those thousands who have abused it and have ruined you and I, to respect it. That doesn't change the truth. Flesh profits nothing. Here we go. Flesh has no provision for improvement. Whether our flesh hangs out in church or at a bar, whether it's highly disciplined or self-indulgent, whether it's intoxicated by religious success or by an alcoholic drink, still flesh. Here's the best way I've ever heard flesh described. Another spiritual father, Jack Taylor. Here's what he said to us one day. Stephen, don't fix the fix that God's got fixed on you to get you fixed from always fixing yourself and others. That's what the flesh does. It likes to fix things. You'd like to say to your child, stop it. I uh, uh. See, what you're saying to the child is, fix it. Just fix, go to your room. Don't you come out until tell you fix it. That's what we're saying. Or if we say the little shame comments like, well, what were you thinking? Just go on, just leave me alone. I, I need time. So the kid goes away and has to fix the fix that's fixed on them to get them fixed from always being fixers and they come back showing success to mommy or daddy saying, I fixed it. Hallelujah. Glory, glory on me. No. Flesh profits nothing. I don't know if you've heard this before but children are designed by God to be dependent on their parents. You ever heard that before? Why do we treat a six-year-old like they're 16? Why do we treat a six-year-old like they're 26? So they can be mature and show the whole world that they're a responsible child? What, so they can be responsibly go to hell? Because they don't need Christ? What's the point? We send a bunch of responsible people to the pit of hell? That sounds fun. Someone should write a book on that, How to Grow Your Child Up to Be Responsible to Go to Hell. No, you don't hear that kind of stuff preached. They want to just make sure they're following the rules, following the rules, following the rules, following the rules. We go, Papa, you're 18. Have a good time at college. Yeah. And then they say comments to us on counseling like, I don't know what happened to my child. I just don't get it. They went to college and everything went south. You see, you're saying to your child, have rules, have rules, have rules, have rules, and then you send them into a liberal environment it says, who cares about rules? And the rules and the lack of them devour the child. Such a satanic ploy. And it works almost every time. We need to train up children with understanding, I need my parents. Someone please tell me the magical age when that stops. I know America says 18 because of the Industrial Revolution. When does that stop? 12, 13? Cub says never. In Hebrew, there are four generations... So when you read passages like Numbers 14:18, where it talks about the sin of the forefather traveling to the fourth generation. Now here's how this works. You have a great-grandchild. You have a parent. You have another parent. And you have another parent. There should be four generations of respect and mutual submission and honor locked in at all times. And here's why. Demons do not respond to death. Once they have you in a death situation and you're going to go to hell, you're a number for their board. It's done. They don't. It's just finished. Why? Because they know that's what God says. You have between birth and death to uh, embrace me. So that's it. Demonic forces are not bound by one life. They're working, this is now your great-grandfather and the sins he had, and then he has a son or daughter, son or daughter, son or daughter, and what you find out is the sins that you saw in great-grandpa are actually suffering in you. Because demonic forces are not bound by someone dying or not. They work on four generations at one time. Why? Because there's four generations always living. And that's how demonic forces can travel sin all the way through until the final hour. Simple deal. But what of us Christians have been brainwashed into thinking? Well, when I turn 18 years of age, I am my own person. That's what the law says. So therefore, I can make the decisions of my own life. Thank you. We don't go to mom, dad, pastor, teachers. We don't go to authority anymore. Satan goes, Gotcha. I gotcha. Because there's one thing that only one thing I have found in scriptures that demons are afraid of authority. Oh, I know Jesus. And I know Paul. Because those two were immovable. But who are you? You see that? Who are you? They're bound. Jesus told us this over and over and over, but for some reason we have tossed it to the wind and we become independent and function on our own. Bummer. Number two, that's why Jesus told his disciples, the flesh profits nothing. Number three, no amount of self-help, positive thinking, therapy, med- meditation, medication, or discipline will ever improve the flesh. The flesh simply stinks. You can go across the street. There's a store that has a title. What's the word used? I go to the what to get my medication? Pharmacy. Pharmacy comes from a Greek word called, anyone know it? Pharmakia. Pharmakia Pharmakia means demonic influence. That is the, you go look it up yourself in the Greek, pharmakia means demonic influence. So the world, the closer we get to the final hour, is going to be more pharmakia. That's why I'm not even worried about the the popular, short-term career movement of psychology. There's coming a day real soon where that is just going to be gone. It'll be all about spirituality and physical. That whole psychology thing is going bye-bye. That's my prediction. Pharmacia is going to be the thing that is used to help you meditate, to help you stay focused, to help you have a wellness feeling while you're trying to worship the Lord, while you're trying to read, because you have learning disabilities. It, all that medicine is going to help you stabilize your flesh. And sin is in every single cell of the body. Do you know that? They actually proved that in DNA. DNA actually, their proof is in the DNA today that says there's pieces actually missing in our DNA that causes diseases and dysfunction. Sin. It's provable. Something's missing. Well, that happened in the garden. Your DNA got a, a, readjusted. You can literally prove God in science if you haven't noticed. Pharmakia is to fill in those missing pieces, to give you that endorphin, to give you that whatever you need so your chemistry is complete again. Why? So you can enhance your flesh, have better devotions? Well, that's where we're going. I've been counseling for over 34 years, and I'm telling you I've heard excuses about medicine so many times. It's ridiculous. I need this in order to not yell at my children. I need this in order to be able to read. I need this in order to... Then you become dependent. Dependencies always start from the external to the internal because dependency... God of externals is the enemy. God is a God of the internal. Satan is a God of the external. Our flesh is a sinking ship. God offers us a way out through the new covenant. We won't flee to the supernatural resources provided only by God until all hope and confidence, our natural flesh, our natural resources, is shattered. At the end of ourselves... Which is actually the beginning spot for the very life and answer that God provides for us. Salvation. God gave you the answer the day you were born. Actually before. But the day you were born it was given to you saying it's right here. You don't have to tap your heels three times. No ruby slippers. You don't have to go exploring some witches and warlocks and all that. All It's right here. Children are to be Shown that from birth. He's right here. He's waiting for the moment of your salvation. Not go find your way and then when you're all done, come on back. Which is very popular today. God said, oh that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. Fear comes from a response to authority. That's it. Why does, your, why does your child obey you? Fear. That's it. Why do you obey God? Fear. Why do you not obey God? Because you wear a t-shirt that says, fear this, or I fear nothing. Our society is filled with, I'm not afraid of anything. And the fact is, they are petrified, even of the, themselves. Lying to themselves to convince themselves I'm not afraid of anything when the truth is it's the doorway to salvation. It's the doorway for good counsel. Fear. So if Satan can get a no fear policy in society, he wins. Hands down. Number six, he goes on to say the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, peel away the flesh, is what that means, and the heart of your descendants, that's my kids and my children's children, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with no flesh around it. Not to be too graphic, but as you grow up, you're going to realize something about males. They're either circumcised or they're not circumcised. And the reason why that circumcision is done is to remove excessive flesh. So the job can be accomplished much faster in a cleaner way fashion. That's how the heart is supposed to be circumcised. The flesh is cut off, and what is left is true heart of God. This uh, prayer is what the Lord gave me, and if you are in a position today, whether you're an online listener, or whether you are here today, if you're in a position of saying, I can pray that today, then as I'm praying it out loud I want you to join me silently in your heart. So whether you are listening online I am going to pray this prayer and I will uh, pray it boldly before the Lord on your behalf and if there's a salvation or re-standing and a repositioning of indwelt believers in different parts of this world because of this prayer may you receive all the glory god so now i pray dear abba father i lift your holy name and the name of jesus christ up before you before each of us we praise you that you have defeated satan and you have put him in his place We take great joy in the fact that Jesus accomplished Satan's defeat by giving up his life on the cross. We appropriate Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension in our daily living. And that's from when I wake up in the morning to when I fall asleep at night. That in Jesus' name there will not be any wrath that goes down as we sleep. Father, I look forward to the day that Satan is bound to the bottomless pit for eternity. I rejoice that you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, give me, give us perfect unity and victory over the enemy today. God, we choose to enter into our victory and claim our place as being more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. We refuse to admit to the ongoing defeat by Satan in any area of our lives. He cannot and will not rule over us, our families, or our loved ones. We affirm that your grace and mercy rules all areas of our lives through the union, the perfect union and victory in Christ. Please give us the strength and grace to affirm your truths in times of temptation that are bound to come I bless and thank you for these daily battles and that you seek to accomplish your divine will in our lives we accept the battlefield you have placed before us in today and rejoice in your divine purpose of it we reject all of the satanic purposes the enemy has hidden behind his attacks and through the victory Of our warrior and Savior Jesus Christ, we stand resolute and strong upon the certainty of our victory. Dear Lord, in confidence we commit to come before your throne boldly each day. And Father, you know that we only pray in your name and the authority that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, and our groom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Forget yourself and a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare